we start? Yes, we can start now. Oh, fantastic. All right. You know, the quicker we blaze, blaze through this, the quicker the Princess Bride comes back on. I cannot wait to see what happens to that six-fingered man. Do you, do you see why this is in my, my Mount Rushmore of movies of all times I've watched way too many times? I mean, I don't think that's a particularly hot take. I feel like everyone said it's just like a really cool gem of a movie. I don't know why I'd never really seen it, you know? It's, I think you need to watch the the Page 7 pod, or listen, I guess, to the Page 7 podcast about like how it was made, and it like explains everything. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So we're going to watch this, and then you, we'll listen, we'll learn, what this, we'll appreciate more. What this movie is, though, is it's really, this is like entry-level like 90s sort of like misty fantasy movie like like you know once you get you know once you kind of get in the door of this you gotta watch never ending story great movie you gotta watch uh willow you gotta watch labyrinth you know you gotta see david bowie and just in just hot tight pants just kind of like stealing kids and whatnot that's a good one too i think labyrinth really scared me when i was a kid if I remember, I think I saw it and I was like, this is terrifying. Was it, well, for, for me, it was Dark Crystal, which was a Jim Henson movie. I think they actually did a Netflix um, sort of uh, reboot of it, but uh, Dark Crystal was one with all the big sort of scary vulture dinosaur puppet guys. Well, I mean, I was scared of the flying monkeys and the, Flizzard, the Wizard of Oz, so. Ah, you know. My standards Pretty low. But yeah, no, I mean, this makes you just really want to go on a run of just like, you know. Oh, I thought you were saying it makes you want to go on a run. I was nope, like, what? No, no, no. I'll, I'll stick to walking. Thanks. That's for, um, what's that movie about like the the cross country runners that were all like Forrest McFarland Gump. County, USA or something? That's oh. actually a pretty decent movie. Mm-hmm. Cross country movie. Pretty boring. Uh, but uh, but no, it's pretty good. I think KCOS is in it. If Kevin, I remember correctly. Kevin Costner is, yeah. in, is in McFarland County. Oh, maybe worth a, worth a watch, you know? Yeah. I'm pretty sure the old KCOS, yay, is Jim White. <laughs> That's a pretty white name. But no, it's pretty good. We should watch that sometime. I mean, like, honestly, if you like, if you, if you show me Kevin Costner and, like, have me guess his name, I think Jim White would, like, be, like, a very early guess for me, you know? Or, no, like, what's his name Smith. in Yellowstone? Something Dunham? Oh, it's, like, John Dutton John. is his name, you know? We need to, once we figure out, I mean, like, I don't know. The it's just so complicated to watch Yellowstone because you either watch it on TV, but no, it's not on TV. It's on like the Paramount Plus, not on the Paramount Plus. No, you have app to pretty much do that. all of us commoners yeah, have. It's, it's like the to watch that. It's like the Paramount Network app. Yeah, which it's is just apparently such a complicated thing. And now they're they're trying to develop this like shitty or not shitty, but like they're trying to develop this like I guess just like white montana dude universe like it's a marvel universe well, but it's really they tried fun. to do that like 1918 or 18 something 65 well, there was, with the, the guy from the big mustache there was, we also have there was like 1808 um yeah and then and then they made another one um and it's just like yeah they're just like is there developing like an mcu but it's just like people toiling in fields instead of fighting aliens at least they know? won't have the metaverse thank god no no i mean you know i mean you know yeah that's that's a blessing, you know. That's a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Well, I have some, uh, I'm not going to say extensive, I'm going to say mildly full correction section. Okay, okay. I've made more mistakes. That was a really good segue, you know. <laughs> I really, the whole time we were talking, I wasn't really listening to what you were saying. I was like trying to figure out how I could segue into talking about the Galapagos Islands. Another good segue. 
two for two. So, My goodness. In episode 10, I foolishly brought up Darwin's finches or the Galapagos finches. Mm-hmm. And I said that these finches evolved apart into like separate species mm-hmm. due to a geographic change or a change in their physical environment. Mm-hmm. However, that was not true. So the Galapagos Islands formed from the ocean floor about 3 million years ago from lava bubbling up, you know? Mm-hmm. Like Hawaii. Like Hawaii. Did you guys have like a unit in school where you learned all about different types of volcanoes? Uh, we, they, they, they threw the, the word tectonic plates around a few times. We watched a Bill and I episode and then we just, you know, moved on to... We had an... Uh, we talked and we watched Dante's Peak. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh my goodness. That movie scared with, the shit out of me. With Pierce Brosnan. That's like... That grandma dies in the acid lake. It's that... Literally scarred. Me. She was a selfless hero. You yeah. know that's that that is a great movie. Actually, I, that movie scares me. It's it's, of me it's, still. A, it's an honestly it's just a it's it's got some of like the better acting in terms of disaster movies because nowadays yeah. when you get to disaster movies, San Andreas, you, you get yeah you you get you get like The Rock like the telling stupid Dwayne's jokes or you get or you get fucking Gerard Butler like running away from like a I mean what was that is movie? Gerard it was like Geo Storm. Be hot. What is Gerard Butler supposed to be hot? Him and Russell Crowe, I always get those two mixed up. I, I mean, I, that's awful. Um, <laughs> Gerard Butler, I think, is like, yeah, people like wanting to be hot, but then like, just a dumb dude, and it just really shows, you know. I mean, like, cast Hugh Jackman more. We need more Hugh Jackman. <laughs> honestly, like, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to take a break from all of these Aussies. And all these Irish people and all these people from across the pond making their way into my cinema, you know? All, like, all these MCU movies I'm not even watching, half these guys are British, you know? Is that? No, Henry has a big a big tiff with all the British actors. They can I, all, Game they can, of Thrones is all, like, British people. Do another run at, like, Perot, you know? They're like, just making better movies. Move Hollywood to England. I mean... I'm fine with that, honestly. I don't really care. You know, I mean, I've, Happy Gilmore wasn't exactly a uh, British vehicle, so I don't know. Right. You know. Well, back to the Galapagos. Okay. So, the islands hold many famous species, such as the Galapagos tortoises, fur seals, marine iguanas, penguins, and, of course, finches. Mm-hmm. The Galapagos finches are linked to Darwin and are a very popular example used in, like, evolution evolution studies mm-hmm. across the across the world the galapagos finches are an example of adaptive radiation which is rapid evolution of different species from a common ancestor so in the case of like the galapagos finches they formed a monophyletic group so like from a common ancestor accumulating differences in dna over time and this kind of came from an ancestral flock that reached the island about two to three million years ago okay Talking about birds still. Okay. Since then, the finches have evolved into 15 different recognized species. Differences differences between these include their body size, beak shape, song, and feeding behaviors. The most notable and significant findings have been among variation in the size and shape of their beaks originating in the ALX1 gene. And these changes in beak size and shape resulted from natural selection granting different species abilities to use different food resources along the islands mm-hmm. across insects, seeds, nectar from cactus flowers, and even iguana blood. Hmm. So it wasn't like a geographic change that caused these finches to look different, like I said stupidly before. Uh. It's they like all just found like different niches of like food and like developed according to like the food that they most commonly ate. So hmm. like there's like some birds that eat like certain seeds and some eat small seeds so they have small beaks or some eat big seeds so they have big beaks some are apparently drinking iguana blood but so now there's a bunch of different kinds of fish species and we're in the correction section right now yes 
Okay, and we, we talked about this last week and we were wrong about it? Well, I said that the Galapagos finches, like, evolved to be different species of the same finch. Okay. Because of a geographic change, and that was not true. It was for food resources. That is the standard of truth around here, folks. <laughs> is we, are, we are going through this podcast, well, she is, uh, with an absolute <laughs> fine-tooth comb. We are picking for the truth. And finding the most, and just finding just a misplaced syllable. And frankly, we're going to come back to you next week saying we are sorry. You know, we went and did 40 jumping jacks and did 20 push-ups, you know, and watched some motivational videos. And we're here back with the corrections. I'm Polly D, and this podcast is my weird hair. And my internet searches are the pick that I sit and tease it with. I have another correction. Forced. <laughs> <laughs> so, you remember last time too when I said that they found Jesus' skeleton? Jesus' skeleton, air quotes around it. Well, that one I didn't believe at the time. They, yeah, okay, what they yeah. did. I'm here for that correction. So in sure. 2012, archeo- archaeologists, in Jerus- archaeologists in Jerusalem claimed to have discovered something in a burial tomb that dates back to the age of Jesus Christ. So James Tabor, a biblical historian and professor and chair of religious studies at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, sounds fun, at the time of the article, which was in like 2012, was working with Simcha Jacovici, that's a name, Okay. who is described as a controversial filmmaker, found a 2,000-year-old engraving claiming to depict Jesus' resurrection in this tomb in like around Jerusalem. So they just kind of jumped to the conclusion that it was... Jesus's tomb. Right. And this was on an ossuary, which is a limestone box containing bones. And Jacoby Bisi, the controversial filmmaker, mm-hmm. claimed to have found Jesus's family's tomb, including the bones of Mary, Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and her and Jesus's baby, which seems real Da Vinci Code to me. Yeah, about to say, you know, I mean, it seems like this, uh, seems like this, uh, Girardelli guy you're talking about, you know, is really just trying to take some pot shots out here. I think, yeah, I think it was just, they did not find Jesus' skeleton, as I falsely claimed in the last one. They found this tomb, and they claimed it to be Jesus' tomb, and it just happened to have bones in it. Hmm. But they pretty much, the only, like, substantial argument they had was it looked like around the time that they believed this guy was alive, and it had, like, some kind of depiction of, like, Jesus' death on it. And, so, and I, I feel like, was no one in that room kind of zooming out on the situation a little bit and, be, and thinking, like, man, like, there were tons of people alive this time, not and just Jesus. a lot Jesus. of people also died at that time. A lot of people died at that time. Lots of tombs. And you know what? You know, love him or hate him. He was kind of the toast of the town. Whatever he was, he was kind of the toast of the town at the time. A lot of people were just being like, I heard Jesus. You know, it's like Bruce Springsteen. You know, exactly. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people putting, you know, going you know, the boss on their, uh, on their, on their, on their tombstones. So I think, um, you know, I this, think this they guy just kind of saw dollar signs and, yeah. and wanted to go down in history finding like religious relics. Other experts, including Mark Goodacre, an associate professor of religious studies at Duke, are skeptical and state that there is no evidence that either tomb finding has anything to do with Jesus. No, you know, no skeleton, you know, skeletons, zero. Shrouds of Turin, one, you know. Didn't that get debunked too? No, soft debunking, you know. Soft, but I mean, it's a, it it's a shroud. You about to say, I don't, I don't think it had been like, what's the opposite of? I don't think it ever been pro- bunked enough to be debunked. It's just kind of the shroud of turn. It's like, what do you, you know? I don't know. Yeah. Just exists, you know. 
What oh. stuff like this used to be on History Channel? You know, I, I did this a couple <laughs> weeks ago. I'm gonna go right oh, back God, to it. Oh God, we're going. We're stuff like this. Back. Wait, you know what? I say what you want. Say we'll what you want. The Shroud of Turin exists, and it's a cool thing to put on TV. I could argue the same thing about aliens. Two thousand years ago, people also had cloth. Yeah. Jesus might have had cloth or whatever the Shroud of Turin is. So did everyone else. Well, I'm, I'm past that. I'm past that. No, I'm, I'm just talking about the fact that, like, at least back in the day. History Channel actually talked about things that like existed or like tangible objects of history. You're saying the greys aren't real. I'm saying I can't touch them. You know, <laughs> like and no they one can. They can touch you, probe. <sighs> you know. You want to go heart. to the news? Some some real take tangible the, news take, that take you can to touch. News. Take me to you the can news. titillate it. So, a thief in the UK stole a semi truck containing thousands of Cadbury cream eggs. Jody Poole, 32, broke into an industrial park in Telford, United Kingdom, using a metal grinder. The truck that he ended up stealing contained almost 200,000 Cadbury eggs valued at 31,000 pounds or 38,000 U.S. dollars. Wow. That's a lot of Easter candy. That's a lot of chocolate. That's a lot of toys, too. Do you like Cadbury you know? eggs? Well, I've never had them because I'm American. What? Okay, They're like my favorite candy. Oh, uh, well, Easter no. Candy. Oh, I, I, I haven't had the ones with toys in them, which is really the real... A Cadbury egg. Cadbury cream egg. Yeah. The ones well, that have like the weird, like, pretty much liquid sugar that's like orange and white inside the it. Problem, the, the problem is like, I, I never got, got into it as an American because like, we eat like the watered down ones that don't have toys in the middle. The real ones... Have toys? There are... They literally... It's a chocolate egg and there's a toy in there. There's like a little... Is there any cream? What? Is there any cream? Maybe, I don't know, you know. Well, have you ever eaten the Americanized, bastardized version of no, Cadbury cause I'm, cream No, because I'm too pissed because there's no toy in there. I'll just go buy a but toy instead. Cream. Yeah. We're going to get them. It's almost Easter. Yeah. Kind yeah. of. Easter candy's out, I think, actually, already. Valentine's Day over Easter's That's in. True. Anyway, so this man, Jody, was stopped by the West Mercia police and falsely claimed to be the Easter Bunny. So he got pulled over with, like, a semi full of Cadbury eggs and was like, I'm the Easter Bunny. And they're like, sir, where's your ears? <laughs> and he planned the theft, obviously, because he walked up using a metal grinder and had previous conviction for handling stolen goods. He eventually pled guilty to the theft and criminal damage. What is he going to do with all those eggs? I don't know. I That's what I was like. I think this is just like, what is it when you, klepto, when you really just like to steal stuff? I feel like this was just a thrill thing. Like, look at how many Cadbury eggs. I, I mean, that's a cool thing. I think like... Like a lot of people, I love the idea of having enough of something that could kind of fill a pool with it and just yes. jump in, like Scrooge McDuck and all of his gold coins, you know? I always wanted to do Jello. Jello? I was always worried. Here's here's my issue with jumping into a big pool of Jello. I don't like. You, you got to look at the physics on this. I don't know if you can just swim out of Jello, because like you don't. No, it's like how people die in like grain silos. Yeah, exactly. So like you would just jump in and die. Be, I mean, that doesn't That's sound exactly great. What I want. Well, all right, well. Well, I guess, like, maybe if you, like, flailed your arms around as you went in, then you'd have, like, a, a little tight little thing of air to, like, breathe in. I mean, it just sounds, sounds rough, you know? It does. It can also jello's tough because you can see your way out. Yeah. Like, you can see, you're in the little fishbowl. Oh, bowl. my gosh, what a nasty that way to go. That is horrifying, actually. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm sure, like, just some, like, I don't know, some idiots, I'm sure, done that. He's filled his bowl with jello and just, like, jumped in and died, you know? Well, there was a girl I went to high school with. There was actually a lot of people Jello death? that no died in grain silos, because like you'll be working on the silo and you fall in uh-huh. and then you just sink. You can't swim through corn. And it's not like it's not hard packed enough that you wouldn't just like sit on top of it. No, you like it's like like 
quicksand? It's like water. Yeah, you just sweat, really like, fall into it, and you like suffocate and die. Oh my goodness! It happens very frequently, actually. You know what's so interesting? I was watching like a scary movie the other day. It was called like a Night of the Night of the Scarecrow. It was an '80s horror movie, anyway. When are you watching this? What are you saying? When did you watch this? I think I think it was while waiting for you to move down here. I would just watch like mm-hmm. I would go on Shutter and I would just watch some real '80s swill. Um, yeah, and this you know basically slash movie. The, the the run of it is this guy kills a guy, but the guy's hiding in a grain silo, and the guy turns it on the, like the little grain thing. And I'm watching like, well, that's just stupid. Why doesn't he just like you know kind of keep on keeping himself on top of the grain? Mm-hmm. And it's because, gosh, that movie was actually pretty realistic. As it turns out, that you can't turn to the top, you just no, die. Yeah. Huh, I like that. That's it. Yeah, it's bad. Huh. Well done, Night of the Killer Scarecrow, or whatever it was, movie was. Accurate, actually. Yeah. Speaking of stealing Cadbury cream eggs, I just, like, recovered this memory. One time in college, I was at the grocery store, and I was, like, checking out. And you know how around Easter, they always put the Cadbury eggs, like, right next to the checkout? Yeah. I took, I was like, oh, I gave myself Cadbury egg. And I put it in, like, my little cart, like, thing where you're, like, put your phone when you're grocery shopping. Yeah. And I accidentally checked out and got out, and I still had the egg, and I didn't pay for it. And you and stole I just, no, around I, Easter. I just left it in the cart and drove away. Wow. I felt too bad. A time for charity and you stole. You know? I know. I should have taken it. It would have been pretty good on the way home. <laughs> so, German ballet director issued a public apology for smearing feces in a newspaper critic's face. What a great prank. Marco Gioki. <laughs> Gioki. Gioki. We're going to call him Marco. Mm-hmm. Issued a public apology last Tuesday, Valentine's Day. For smearing feces in the face of a critic who gave him bad reviews, Marco was suspended from his job as ballet chief at the Hanover State Opera after the incident and was suggested, strongly suggested, to apologize and explain himself. So Marco, how do you explain? How do you explain rubbing feces in someone's face? He doesn't do it. Wait, wait, so did he approach a man with like hands full of feces and just kind of? You know, give him the business? I tell you now. You tell me now. Thank you. Marco apparently approached the critic during the interval, which I think is an omission, intermission in the yeah. performance, yep. of the premiere of the Opera House and asked the critic what he was doing there. Probably working. Just making some small talk. Marco was displeased with the review the critic had previously wrote to her production he put on in the Netherlands. Marco had threatened to ban her, it was her, from the ballet and claimed she was responsible for people canceling their season tickets. And during the confrontation, he pulled out a paper bag and took it and just, like, smeared it in her face. I mean, short of murdering somebody, honestly, though, that is, like, I mean, he got her, you know? That's that's pretty bad. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, like... It sucks. Yeah, I mean, damn. Yeah, and during his apology, he said, quote, In retrospect, I am clearly aware that this was a disgraceful act in the heat of the moment and an overreaction. Heat of the moment? That's premeditated. You gotta poop in a bag and, you You know... You don't just carry around Dookie in a doggy bag like a... Peanut butter and jelly Driving sandwich. an absolutely festering car with that thing. you got to be thinking about that for hours. You I, know? Wonder, that's, that's... You, I, I wonder what kind of poop it was. Like, was it rock hard? How soft was it? I'm guessing it was a couple... Where did he keep it that he got to the intermission? So he'd sat through some of this performance with poo-poo in a bag on him, on his person. I'm sure people have done worse in theaters. They're like, damn, that guy just keeps farting and it keeps smelling pretty bad. (laughs) He then also said to the media that the media needed to rethink a certain form of destructing and hurtful reporting that damaged the whole cultural sector. So he kind of blamed 
this woman, this critic, and the media of critics mm-hmm. for ruining opera, I guess. I, I mean, in, and you, that's but, why but, he rubbed Dookie in her. to say, in all fairness, I would need to know what she said, you know. <laughs> Because Are you gonna victim blame here? I'm not. I'm not gonna victim blame. I'm just <laughs> saying there is a there is a you know there is a price for every Cadbury cream egg you know and there are there are cents. there are actions that on the balance you know mm-hmm. are deserving of poop smearing in the face. Now I am very incredulous that she she could have said something that would rise to poop smearing, but frankly, I'd have to hear what she said. You know. Like right. maybe, like maybe she is just absolutely dropping slurs and making up like just absolute lies about this man. Maybe she just went to go see like I don't know Billy Madison and didn't even didn't even like didn't even go to see his play. So know? on the track of this podcast, let's mark a tally for at least one on forced victim blaming. I I'm not victim blaming. <laughs> I'm just curious as to what she said. No, this must have been pretty bad. I, I got. I mean, I feel like. In the in the opera in the theater, I feel like people are pretty sensitive, yeah, but also pretty ready to like dish out some pretty harsh criticism. No, and no. then they like don't dish it if don't dish it if you can't take it. No. I'll just let you go. Anyway, mm. Marco acquired the feces from his elderly Dotson, packed oh. them into a bag, originally planning to dispose of the poop. But then he just did the like look at it and just like slid it into his pocket. That's a little that's a little classless yeah. to use your dog's poop. Like your dog's not involved in this fight. Like you're yeah, gonna say if you're your own poop. No, I'm about to say, like, yeah, if once again, if someone besmirches me in such a manner that I find has risen to the level of me smearing poop in their face, which, you know, hey, that could happen. You I, know? Hasn't happened yet, but hasn't hasn't happened got yet. A lot of light left to you live. know, the odds are low, but they're there, you know. It could be um, possible. There's a tip for every tat, that's all I'm saying. Um <laughs> And, um, but anyway, if it rose to that, I would use my own poop. I would not, I, w- I would not steal a, steal a dog's poop and drag it into my, you know, uh, poop fight. No. No. So the critic, she obviously believes that this is premeditated, which. I, very, very highly logical. And is not satisfied with the apology. Seems half-hearted. Yeah. And Marco faces an investigation on bodily harm and slander. Oh, I mean. I yeah. Like what do you, what are like the formal charges you can get for like smearing someone with poop? Well, like in what, the in what's the, the U.S. Worst thing they would give you in the U.S. that oh. would be a battery at least, because a battery. This is funny. A battery is a is a harmful and offensive touching. <laughs> well, he didn't touch it with his hand. He touched it with the poo poo. You know it. Um, it yeah, counts. It counts. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I would and I would call that harmful and offensive. It is definitely know. offensive. I don't know how harmful, but And offensive. you know, we might be talking uh, intentional infliction of emotional distress, you know? Mm. By intentionally inflicting emotional distress. What's the what's requirement uh, for that? Oh, it's 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 extreme and outrageous conduct that shocks the conscience. <laughs> <laughs> I think that falls under that. I think I think poop would in fact shock my conscience now, and I would say that's outrageous. Because if somebody smoothed the spear poop to my face, smeared poop my face, I just you know the uh, got poop in my face, and I would say that's outrageous. That is outrageous. <laughs> that's outrageous. Bring on the battery charges. Yeah, bring wonder, out the clowns. So this guy was German. I wonder if this was like in Germany or where this was at. It didn't say. Oh, he's German. He is German. Oh, so this is and in she, the states. And 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 is she? Do you think this was like a sort of a nationality beef? Is she like Swiss? And he's like these these Swiss people don't understand my German operas. You I know? mean, I don't have I don't some poop. Think it was racial. Have some charged? poop, you you Swiss fuck. You yeah. know. 
Oh, yeah, I wonder where the where this occurred. Oh, it seems seems like a German on German on German issue. Hmm. Oh yeah. So oh, the Daily Frank. I don't know. The Daily oh, Frankfurt. Well, her name is Wipeke Husser. Okay. Where was this at? Kind of funny that her first name is Wipe Key. Web yeah. Weebke. There's a B in there. No P. But yeah. So. We still don't know what she said. We still do not know. I mean, we could probably... I'm really looking forward to finding out. She just says, like, it was okay. I didn't really like it, though. <laughs> she was probably like... Slender! <laughs> a little dry in the beginning. Could have been that 10 minutes sad. shorter. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to finding out that's what it was. But yeah, that was all I had for the news. Well, my goodness. It's been, it's been an exciting news, week. News, corrections. I, I mean, it's been an exciting week in the news. I appreciate it, you know? Yeah. I, you know, it's been... Been hearing a little bit more about the um, UFO disclosure sort of stuff, you know. Biden's out here saying, you know, I don't know what it was, but it might have been a Chinese weather balloon. And if it was, we got him, you know, that sort of thing, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing about I'm just looking for the day where we can look up in the sky and maybe there'll be something else there. Who knows? Maybe maybe it'll be a big old LED Jesus telling us to... You know, smear um, poop in your neighbor's smooth, face. Smear poop in your face. Just smirge uh, your neighbors. Yeah, yeah. Smear poop in your face and bow down to Mark Ruffalo, the new, the new world order. You know. I mean, Mark Ruffalo might be an improvement now yeah, to LED Jesus. Apparently. Who knows? But yeah, so my topic this week, I told you when we were talking about this that I was excited because it wasn't sad. No one dies. Well, that's sad. Okay. And. This week we're going to talk about a man named Edward Paston Walker, who is known as the ultimate pedestrian. The ultimate pedestrian? Yes. Oh. So, at the ripe age of 22, Edward bet his friends that if Abraham Lincoln won the 1860 presidential election, he would walk from Boston to Washington, D.C., which is about 453 miles, and attend the inauguration. So, he wagered six half pints of peanuts, no bets of money, that he could do it in 10 days, because it was in 10 days' time. Okay. And he found two men to follow alongside him to witness this feat, as well as carry clothing and supplies for him. And he also wanted them to carry along advertising flyers to drop at stops along the way, because walking don't pay the bills, baby. Was and he lost his bet? Edward left the Boston State House at 1248 on February 22nd, 10 days before the inauguration in 1861. You know he loses this bet because Abraham Lincoln wins the presidency. All right, well, that's fair enough. Okay. You know, proof's in the pudding, yeah. Yep. And, yeah, so he left 10 days before the inauguration of 1861. Okay. And he was joined by a group of spectators and buggies because he seemed to be a little flim-flammy. He, used mm-hmm. to, he told everyone about this. And along the way, he was offered free lodging and food as the publicity of him stopping by their establishment was enough. He munched on sandwiches along the way given to him by villagers or graciously given meals at homes or hotels that he stayed at. And Edward's longest bout of sweet during sleep during this whole time was a measly six hours at Philadelphia at the Continental Hotel. Here in the hotel, he denied using their steam elevator, which I looked up and it seemed very scary. Okay. I didn't think <laughs> elevators going back this far, they had elevators mm-hmm. and they seemed scary. <laughs> Due to it breaking like his walking train. Okay. His elevators yeah. were cheating. Right. And he was also apparently kissed by a few ladies who wanted him to relay the kisses to the president. It sounds like this guy was very confident about Abraham winning, Abraham Lincoln winning, and he kind of like wanted a good segue to doing this. Like, Just like an excuse? An excuse. Like, ah, you know, if the Cubs don't win the World Series this year, you know, I'm going to do this big old stunt and then lo and behold, the Cubs win. Black in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're going to do it anyway. Yeah. We, I don't remember who I was with, we talked about this. 
Who, if you had to choose to smush one president, who would it be? Oh, smush a president. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, like, with like my foot? No, oh, smush. Like... Smush. Generals. Generals. Smush. Oh. Hmm, Jersey Shore talk is really permeating this podcast. Um, <laughs> it's a really sad day. Um, huh. I feel like, uh, I'll go with Calvin Coolidge. Mm. Yeah. Picture you more of a tapped guy. That, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't tapped insanely fat? <laughs> Good lord. What is that? What? Big, big, you know, big man needs a lot of love, I'm sure. Uh, nope, Calvin Coolidge. Easy. Why him? Huh? Why him? I have no idea, you know? Oh, okay. Well, you know, cool, you know, cool name, first of all, you know? That's all I know about him, you know? It's first, 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 but like, you know, like, I followed my heart there. It's the first name that popped in my head, you okay. know? Yeah. All right, that's fine. I'll take that one. Mm-hmm. He had to extricate himself in Worcester, Massachusetts, due to having previous debts in the town, as we'll learn later. This man was always in debt. Mm. And outside of Leicester, Massachusetts, he trudged through two feet of snow, and he was also escorted by a brass band in a group in South Brookfield. He was chased by a dog and sprained his ankle in Connecticut, but reached New York City in the morning of February 27th, only a few days before the inauguration. And he arrived at the Capitol on March 4th, missing the inauguration ceremony, but mustered up the energy after his long walk to that night go to the inauguration ball. And at the ball, he was introduced to Abraham Lincoln, who apparently offered to fund his way home anyway other than by foot, but Edward declined as walking home was vindication for him not making it to the capital on time. And also more fame and kisses, you know? Hmm. Hmm. This guy like this guy loved the spotlight. Also, I guess, you know, I guess the whole plot line in Forrest Gump wasn't that original as it turns out, you know. You're gonna find out it's pretty unoriginal. Actually. Okay. <laughs> so let's take a trip back in Edward's life before he began walking. So he was born in Providence, Rhode Island on March fifteenth, eighteen thirty nine. His family was a respectable, often described as eccentric middle class, which I don't know what that means. Like, does that eccentric in 1839? Eccentric middle class in 1839. Like, mean, nowadays, I feel like that means like... Do you have two pairs of shoes? I feel like it means like those families that have like above ground pools in the backyard, you know? Like the... Or like a, they have a tiki bar in their backyard. Yeah, they got a tiki bar in the backyard, you know? Hmm, My know. parents have somebody like kitty corner to them behind yeah. their house. Tiki bar, above ground pool. T- yeah. Eccentric same. middle class. In Wisconsin, no less. You know, that's you, eccentric middle class. Putting a pool in your house in Wisconsin, stupidest thing ever. You use it three months out of the year. Not even three. <laughs> it's so cold all the time. <laughs> so, Edward took up walking for exercise as he was not described as a very strong young boy. They pretty much described his walking as the only physical feat he could do impressively, which was kind of sad for Edward. Wait, and so yeah, this kid was kind of like physically weak as a kid? Forrest Gump, that whole movie just ripped this guy's life off. So Edward stood at 5'7", weighing about 130 pounds, and described as a baked potato stuck with two toothpicks by one journalist. Forrest Gump walked around in like little like leg braces as a kid. <laughs> so Edward seemed to be sort of a wild child working at a steamship, selling newspapers in various cities, traveling America with musicians, the Hutchinson family singers, and worked at a circus after under a fake name where he was struck by lightning. Well, that sounds more like Jenna than Forrest at that point, Jenna. but you know, yeah. He went to school in Boston and apprenticed under a jeweler in Providence and worked with a newspaper in New York all by the age of 20. So he kind of, he was a rambunctious little And guy. it does seem like he's learning like the flim-flam lifestyle, the like, you know, the kind of the, the talk it up, oh. you know, get the tips, hey, 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 you know, hey, hey. Yeah, yeah, you know, the bit of the Barnum and Bailey sort of thing, you know. So he was known for having a gift in sales and self-promotion, but also was very gullible to bad bets, shams, and schemes. So he's so he's both starting pyramid schemes and, and getting into them. Yes, what yes, a yes. cycle! I love it. Yes, 
He's one other prowess was always walking. He promised his mother that he would never walk on the Sabbath, though, which she stuck to, as we'll find out. So <laughs> My prowess is always walking? Yes, but he does not walk on Sundays. Not on Lord's Sundays, Day. okay. So, after his meeting with Lincoln in Washington, fast forward, or, or after his first big walk, yep. he was preparing for his trip back to Boston when the Civil War broke out. He sided with the Union and acquired the task of delivering 117 letters to Union forces in Annapolis, Maryland, and the Confederacy had cut off routes through Baltimore, so they need someone to walk. weasel their way through. Walk. <laughs> a special sack was made to protect the letters, and Edwards set off to Annapolis in a disguise described as a, quote, Susquehanna raftsman on a bender. Wait, this guy fought in a war? He didn't fight, he, he walked. I'm just saying Forrest Gump went to Vietnam in that movie. This guy fought in the Civil War. I'm just saying... I- it turns out this movie is like a total ripoff. Wow. It's going to get worse. Yeah. So he eventually de- delivered the letters, even after spending a little time in the slammer until his allegiance with the Union was determined. So he was arrested. But he did participate in various other walking competitions after his little stint in the Civil War, including indoor multi-day races. Edward then went pro in 1867 and dubbed himself Weston the Pedestrian, and he walked from Maine to Chicago he even participated in one exhibition where he walked 200 miles backwards. And his lack of need for sleep was also notable. Often, he was able to completely refresh himself after only a few hours of sleep. Yeah, back in the day, though, they were putting, like, cocaine and Adderall, like, That's just true. in, like, cold medicine. Yeah, they had, know? like, amphetamines just, like, in the air. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you those could were get the, it Those were the fucking days. That would have been know? a wild time. Imagine if you could just go get speed from Walgreens. Like, I'd be unstoppable. You know? That's, that is true. Yeah. That is true. He often announced his desire to walk across America starting about 1869, and he eventually traveled to England in 1876 to compete internationally as it was kind of popular. Wait, walking? Professional, like, long-distance walking was really popular at this time. I mean, they have, like, those, like, they have those marathon, like, those ultra-marathons now, and, like... Those people are barely going faster than a walk. It's like it's 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 like it's like a semblance of a jog. Well, I was there's another great my favorite murder episode where Karen talks another I survived episode uh-huh. where she talks about there's like this like crazy ultra marathon like through the like Sahara Desert. Oh yeah. And this guy gets caught in a sandstorm, gets lost, and survives. But it's crazy. We'll have to listen to that okay. one. Okay. But yeah, no, I mean like how much can you really like if you're running if you're running versus walking all day, I feel like you kinda of cover the same amount like same distance. Oh no, I mean the the ultra marathoners, like it's all for show. The fact that they actually kinda of pick their knees up and have a little bounce in the step, you know? They just, they, 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 they just don't want to be made fun of for, for walking. Yeah. You know? I mean you yeah. can just walk and you'll make it. You could you, you could just walk. Better yeah. on the joints. Yeah. So Edward, in 1907, when he was 68, he trekked from Portland, Maine to Chicago, covering 1,300 miles in 26 days, which was one day faster than when he did it in 1867. Weston gained popularity in what was known as the outdoor destination walking, mostly, even donning a signature outfit in black velvet knee breeches, blue sash, white silk hat, and kid gloves, which I don't know what that means. They're just white gloves. (laughs) I have pictures of him to show you. Oh, yeah. Let's see. I think this was this was his outfit with the sash. What a little performer. That's pretty sexy. I like that little hat. Look yeah. at how that suit. This was also him. I don't know what this little cane is for. It must be a walking stick. <laughs> but that's a pretty sexy outfit. Great Halloween costume. I wonder what that guy would have done today. Probably make TikTok videos. Also. Yeah, yeah. Probably. 
So Edward even gave lectures in cities along the way, which is a common thing for him to do once he kind of like gained popularity. One of his topics was tea versus beer. He attempted to walk from Bangor, Maine to St. Paul, Minnesota, and then back to New York, which would have totaled about 5,000 miles, but he only made it to Buffalo due to him starting in the winter and was already four days behind schedule because of the snowstorm. But you're walking through Buffalo in the winter. Right. Like, what's going to happen? Yeah. So during this time, professional long-distance walking became somewhat of a spectacle or even, like, described as a glamour sport. <laughs> a glamour sport. Which is so stupid. But... These, these, these are simpler times, though. No, it know. sounds awesome. Yeah. Some trace this back to a Scottish laird, L-A-I-R-D, laird? Laird, okay. Laird, named Robert Barclay Allardyce, who walked a thousand miles in a thousand hours for 1,000 guineas in 1809. And crowds would pack into arenas to witness track walking, where people would, would race against each other in matches, or people would attempt, like, various records. And these were very popular. Madison Square Garden even held a race in 1879 that sold 5,000 oysters, 6,000 pickled sheep's tongues, and 200,000 glasses of lager. Wow. So people were watching this stuff. This was like the the XFL of the day. Um, at 70 years old, Edward aimed to walk from New York to San Francisco in 100 days in 1909. He planned to take Sundays off and, obviously, and some time for little side trips, vacations, mm-hmm. maybe, to Albuquerque. Who knows? This trip would be about 4,000 miles, and he would need to walk about 40 miles a day if he was going to reach it in his 100-day time. Since there was no paved roads across America, just like in the cities at the time, he would mainly just walk on dirt turnpikes and railroads. He planned to deliver lectures, as he does, tea versus beer, um, along the way to fund for the trip, since he was kind of famous now. His trip would be from New York to Seattle and then down to San Francisco, and in the past, horse carriages followed as support when he'd do these long-distance trips. But since horses got tired, he was like, I need automobiles to do this, to drive alongside him. He also chose a route with only bridges as ferries were considered cheating for him. And Edward seemed to be a bit of a diva because he avoided Cleveland as he was harassed by crowds in Cleveland and did not receive proper, proper protection. So it sounds like the people of Cleveland did not like Edward. You know, like, you know, you think you're better than me just walking through here, you know, just with your cute little hat and your little little, your little riding stick, you know? You're trying to tell me I should drink tea instead of beer, you know? Cleveland or beer I'm from Cleveland. Yeah. I'm from Cleveland, you know? I work in the steel? Yeah, about to say. Steel, you're, steel you're, you're walking. We'll make you run out of here, you son of a bitch. <laughs> you son of a bitch. So, during when his start day began to near, he began to pack eggs, tea, meat, and ginger ale for sustenance. If I'm really thirsty, I don't think Eggs, I want to drink tea, ginger ale. Ginger ale yeah. sounds like a sounds like a London sounds, cafe. Yeah, or like a real hungover, like nightmare food. Yeah, every one of those things would make me puke. He planned to have plenty of ice blankets and extra shoes and clothing. He also changed plans to head down to LA and then up to San Francisco, possibly to avoid other Clevelands. Who mm-hmm. knows? And the whole trip was supposed to be updated to the New York Times over the Telegraph. So he finally began his walk on his 70th birthday on March 15th of 1909 from the General Post Office in Lower Manhattan. He arrived late to his start time and in a flurry to the ceremony announcing that he had injured his foot 10 weeks earlier and was very frightened he would die on the trip. He adored a hat resembling a sombrero, but not in color. So he was kind of being a little bitch from the start. Okay. 
and thousands of fans turned up along the route to cheer him on and to act as witnesses due to past fraudulent transcontinental walks. So people have done this before and been like, right? They they just catch they're a, fake. They're fake. They just catch a train from like Michigan to like you know Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> finish it off. Okay. So he made it 30 miles on his first day, 38 miles on his second day. The old stagecoach dirt dirt turnpikes proved problematic and muddy, as you would suspect. He covered 275 miles in his first week and acquired a blister on his right foot. Ooh. He rested during the first Sabbath in Utica, New York, and began walking at promptly 12.05 a.m. the next day. So he wasn't wasting any time. No, yeah. Before arriving in Buffalo, he encountered a blizzard. Shocker. And that proved to be too intense for his escort car, so he lost his car, and he walked 22 miles alone. Um, but then was quickly met by friendly pedestrians of Buffalo. Mm. I feel like people in Buffalo are nice. Yeah, I know. They seem like friendly folks. I think so. He entered Pennsylvania on March 31st, 17 days after he began. Two days later, he reported, quote, lost, period. One <laughs> automobile, one chauffeur, and one trained nurse. Accidentally, several suits of underclothes, three pairs of boots, dozen pairs of socks, two dozen handkerchiefs, one pillskin coat, one straw hat, last seen in Jamestown, New York. Oh, so he lost a bunch of his so crap. So he was losing a lot of stuff. I okay. think it's because that was probably everything that was like in his car. Right. That he lost. Yeah. And after three weeks, he was greeted by ten thousand people in Mansfield, Ohio, where he decided to take a rest day and wait up for his automobile. He ended his fifth week walking in Chicago after one thousand two hundred fifty-three miles. He then fired his driver slash chauffeur because he caused him to wait an extra day. Unreliable. Yes, unreliable. The walk was not easy. Edward was beat on by all the elements, bitten by bugs, and even heckled by hobos, apparently. Which, at the time, they were called hobos. He was also a bit behind schedule, so Edward decided to walk around railroad tracks instead of country roads. This would only allow him to walk 3.5 miles an hour because you have to, like, tip-tap on mm-hmm. the things. And, but he would cut down his miles by 30%, which seems like a lot of math without, mm-hmm. like, Google Maps. I don't know how they figured that out. In Missouri, he was walking on a railroad trestle across the Missouri River, and he was told that there was no trains coming for 30 minutes, but the bridge was almost a mile long, so the train quickly began to approach him, and he was forced to jump 150 feet into the river below. And he crossed through Colorado during his 10th week, having lost 20 pounds already, and he was met by a large and rambunctious crowd in Denver, where he had to be saved by the police from, like, the crowd, because they were getting a little Mm -hmm. little rowdy. The winds were very strong when he was crossing the Rockies, forcing Edward to crawl on his hands and knees for four miles, which took a full 24 hours. And in Utah, he picked up a Velocipede, which is apparently a three-wheeled human-powered vehicle used to inspect the tracks as a chauffeur. And this provided to be important because he was about to enter the desert. Ooh. He then changed his plans, and he decided to go directly to San Francisco due to being behind schedule. And he walked across the Great Salt Lake on a 12-mile trestle that was replaced by a causeway in 1959, which is kind of cool, yeah. I guess. Apparently, there's a bridge across the Great Salt Lake. Causeway, whatever. Maybe it's gone now, but huh. yeah, I don't know. That seemed weird that they just like hmm. built a bridge across it. And he made it to Nevada during the night of June 22nd, where he frequently did most of his walking at night due to the intense heat where one day it reached 102 degrees in the shade on July 1st. Is he just, like, sleeping outside for, the, for all this? Yeah. Oh, okay. Or, like, I think when he was, like, in cities, he would sometimes stop in people's houses. Oh, okay. But, like, I think towards the end, he was just, like, outside. You just bang on people's doors and just... You get, like, some, you get some, you get some smelly man who's... He reached California on July 8th, feeling already that his walk was a crushing failure and that his mistakes included walking east to west against the wind, which I think the wind blows both ways. 
starting with a bad car and walking slowly on the railroads. So he's kind of already like beating himself up. Wait, 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 so he made it to San Francisco though? He reached San Francisco 104 days after he left New York on July 14th. He was going to have to ferry 30 miles to San Francisco, so he walked an extra 30 miles in Oakland to like make up for it. Okay. So he walked a total of 2,898 miles, including his days off. It took 122 days. So like, that's he amazing. was actually walking for 104 days, but like he took like Sundays and like days to wait for his driver. So it took 122 days. I mean, I don't know if I it's walk still if good. I walk around at a shopping mall for too long and get a blister. How do these guys? Can you imagine how bad your feet hurt? Oh god. I mean, I feel like people were just tougher back then. You know, and your shoes were a lot worse. Yeah. You'd have the old uh, hokas. I feel like people were just so much tougher back then, you know? Yeah, you're probably right. Your feet probably smelled real bad. He thought um, that his trip making it 104 days instead of 100 was a major failure, and he hiked from San Francisco to New York the following year to make up for it. This time, he began in Santa Monica, boosting his goal to making it in 90 days. This time, he did it in 78 days walking, which was a total of 89 days. In the same year, Paul Lang... Described as a legitimate transcontinental walker. Crossed the country in 77 days, so we beat him by one day. Whoa. Kind of a douche. And at 74 years old in 1913, Edward hiked from New York to Minneapolis, which would be his last long walk. At, at the age of 87, Edward was living off his daughter and having lost his life savings because he was a bit of a gambler, apparently. He didn't want to become a ward of the state. So he seeked out a job as a messenger. His friends and fans tried to help him out, saving him after being found walking aimlessly in New York City twice in 1926. And he was once lost for three days in Philadelphia. And he was also just always kind of constantly rambling on about another transcontinental walk. He eventually died in New York at the age of 90, two years after being struck by a taxi and forced to live out his final days in a wheelchair. Wow. I always find it so interesting when, like, big, like, celebrities and movie stars, like, die or, you know, I mean, are, like, are, you know, are die destitute, you know, like, uh, like a Jaja Gabor. Like, it's hard to believe that, like, oh, they were so, like, famous at one point, and then, like, next thing, you know, like, they end up just dying, like, the I rest mean, of us. <laughs> yeah. Or it's, like, I don't know, like, I think there's, like, um... I, when, when was I reading about this? But like, there's like a there's a like a retirement home in Hollywood for like movie stars who like are like destitute now, you know. Um, and I mean, a lot of times they're like still kind of like getting like paid gigs and stuff like that. They're still like they're still like working, I guess, to a certain extent. But like, they've made just such critical errors in terms of like investments and like yeah. they're like so bankrupt that like any sort of like legitimate money they would come into would have to like go right back to the state or like yeah. go right you know, would, else would get garnished immediately right and so yeah. and so they're just like yeah they're just kind of like you know buried you know yeah. but, but it's, still yeah. like have enough privilege to get like put in some different fancy nursing home <laughs> yeah 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 it's all yeah it's really really interesting stuff oh, honestly it is yeah. actually really, i wonder who's in there yeah yeah i was watching one of those joe bob briggs programs and like sometimes they do like a charity uh like sort of call in for it oh, you know and he was like raising money for like the the, yeah, like the, the house. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the Hollywood house. You, you'd be surprised the names. You can, like, look that up. There's, like, a bunch of, like, I can't remember what the thing's called, but you'd be, you'd be shocked at, like, all, like, the names of the people who, like, you end know. End up in there. Yeah, end up in there. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. 
I mean, it kind of sounds fucking sick. You're just like hanging out with like, you know, I don't know, like Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. I mean, it isn't like hard to like believe that. I mean, obviously these people can rack up some pretty big debts. And like once they stop like producing, their income kind of like plateaus out. And then like it just starts plummeting with all the people like coming after the money they owe them. Yeah. 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 Interesting. But there was also met a few other famous long-distance walkers who followed in Edward's footsteps. There were a lot, but there was just two that I found that were kind of interesting. Okay. That I wanted to just touch on quick. So Doris, also called Granny D. Haddock, left California on New Year's Day in 1999 from the Rose Bowl Tournament of Roses Parade and shot to hike 3,200 miles to Washington, D.C. to raise awareness for campaign reform. At a pace of 10 miles a day for 14 months, she arrived in February of 2000 where she met a crowd of 2,200 people supporting her. Wow, So several dozen members of Congress walked the last few miles with her in the Arlington National Cemetery to Capitol National Mall. The McCain-Feingold Act was passed not long after her walk, which was the strongest federal reform at the time for campaign fundraising or whatever. She was 90 the day she arrived in D.C. So she was really... Wow, okay. Um, she then celebrated her 98th, 99th, and 100th birthdays lobbying for campaign finance reform in New Hampshire State House. The campaign finance reform, which I didn't really know what this was, which I don't really know anything about politics. But so the campaign finance reform is, I guess, independent political expenditures by corporations, nonprofits, and unions to fund campaigns. Interestingly enough, it's actually a First Amendment issue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. because it's like, it's, you know, our corporate entities, do they have First Amendments, right? And like, that's actually a big part of like, the way the constitution breaks out, like your right to vote mm-hmm. is like, is like kind of correlated with your, like your, you know, your free speech, you know? Yeah. And like, and then, then, you know, you get into court over. Yeah. Like, like, you know, these political action committees or companies, you know, pumping all these money into campaign people, but then they're like, Oh, well that's just, you know, that's our, that's our right to vote. That's our right to speak, yeah. you know, you know, with, with, with them. Billions of dollars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a really interesting area huh. of like first amendment yeah. law. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess this, like this bipartisan campaign reform act mm-hmm. also called the McCain fine gold prohibited politicians slash federal candidates slash office holders uh-huh. from taking soft money contributions and barred corporations and unions from using treasury funds to finance issue advertisements. Mm-hmm. And this eventually got overturned in 2010 because it was unconstitutional yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like it's all just like so flip floppy. Oh, and some of the rules are just so, I mean, like it's, the, the rules are just so like countervailing and conflicting. I think like, one of the one of the ones is like, you know, you can put a cap on like how much someone can like, I guess, directly contribute to a candidate, but you can't put a cap on like how much someone like, I guess like, like okay, yeah, yeah, okay, you can put a cap on how much you can actually pay to a candidate and like put in their pocket. That's I think. But you this, can't like, soft put a, money is. But you can't put a cap on how much you donate to like their campaign in general. Yeah. You know. And then like what does that go to? Oh, buying a new car. Basically to travel. You, basically yeah. you can't hand the politician $5,000 in cash, but you can leave it at their door, doorstep. Yeah. You know, yeah, and like, it's do very with this as you please. The rules are yeah. very silly, yeah. you know. That um, I think is what Doris Granady was trying mm-hmm. to work on. But yeah. she like still they do still like She's apparently a big figure in New Hampshire. Yeah. Big, big stuff still. Another one. On October 1st of 2005, Buckwheat Donahue, self-named Buckwheat, um, set off from Miami Beach, Florida, back home to Skagway, Alaska. The 7,000-mile journey was made as a, like, walking-slash-canoeing contribution. 
distribution combination travel. He arrived on August 21st, 24th of 2006, 327 days after he left Florida. So he made mm-hmm. it just under a year. Yeah. And the trip was a fundraiser for the Skagway Hospital and to better his cardiovascular health after he suffered from some heart trouble. Oh. So Carl Buckwheat Donahue grew up in the lower 48 but moved to Skagway, Alaska in the early 80s after apparently getting drunk and sleeping through his stop in Juneau. Oh. He quickly became popular in the town and was described as a storyteller, tourism director, and Bon vivant, which is a person who enjoys a sociable lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. So I guess he kind of like became like a big popular figure in this town. He yeah. began unorthodox foot races, a UFO convention, the Northwoods Writer Symposium, and the Buckwheat International Cross Country Ski Race. So he's kind of a cool guy. Yeah. He apparently was likable enough that people kept taking him out for dinner and buying him meals at restaurants, which caused him to gain weight, to have heart troubles, and then prompting his famous walk. Yeah. So he eventually died at age 68 in Oklahoma of a heart attack in 2019. Huh. There's like an article from the Elastic Alaska Public, which I guess is like a newspaper, and it's actually really cute. This guy yeah. seems really cool. But. You kind of reminded me of there's um, there's this one of these um, through hikers, you know, on... Um, on the trail? On the Oregon Trail. And there's a guy called... On the Oregon? Or the no, Appalachian? Uh, Appalachian Trail. Um, let's see. Oh, Yeah. Okay, is it is it this guy? Yeah. Okay, so there's this guy, and maybe 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 a good for another episode. Who knows? But there's a guy. You got to look him up. It's called the guy is called Mostly Harmless. Oh, good. And he was this uh, this through hiker on the trail, um, and he you know kind of like met a bunch of people and and then just disappeared. Oh no no, no. then he died. Oh. Yeah. So okay. so we we had. No, he hiked the whole trail. He made it through, I think. Or, I, yeah, I think he made it through. Um, but he, we got all the way down to South Florida. He died in South Florida. And then there was oh, this so whole... he made it further. Uh, yeah, actually. Usually I think the... It, it, reading that it ends in Georgia. Books, yeah, it's like Maine to Georgia. Yeah. I, so, I mean, I don't know if he started in Maine, but he, he, more or less he, he hiked, hiked the whole... Through, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, he kept going and then he... guy dies in, somewhere in South Florida... Um, but really the interesting whole thing was they couldn't figure out who he was, his identity. They couldn't figure out what his identity they was. They just knew him as this mostly harmless guy? Yeah, yeah. His name was, okay. he was, his trail name was mostly harmless. Um, and they couldn't figure out his identity and it was this whole internet sleuthing thing, trying to figure out who this guy's name was, you know, what the guy, what this guy's name was. And eventually they, uh, they figure out who he was. He was this kind of like. You know, just just kind of you know, sort of fringe dude who kind of like worked in software mm-hmm. and he was young. You know, I uh, you mid mid to late twenties. Oh, um, so young. And you know, but before they found out his identity, he was kind of like a legend. You know, it's like you know, because like because a lot of people had met him and had and had these kind of you know, just from the mundane to like you know just interesting stories about this guy and it was just kind of this little like internet legend flirt about like who is mostly harmless and then eventually they kind of figure out you know who he was and you know his family was like yeah hey, it's kind of an asshole and his girlfriend was like yeah hey, it's kind of an asshole you know <laughs> and but it was yeah it was just like it, you know it, it within that sort of that community and sort of that you know sort of reddit paradigm it was it was a, it was a very hot thing was trying to figure out who mostly harmless was and cool. yeah so maybe something to that, that, that's a fun article to read if okay. you ever want to check it out. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. Well, because I like was re- you should really read that Grandma Gatewood's Walk. I yeah. Think really like that. Yeah, I no, it this, looks awesome. This book doesn't need the hype. I think it's like yeah. the guy's like a Pulitzer Prize like cool writer, but 
that's how I think I, I found, they, like, mentioned this guy, mm-hmm. like, in passing once, yeah. and I, like, looked it up, and I was like, wait, this is actually really cool. People really, people are really serious about walking. They really are. They really are. Apparently Forrest Gump might have stolen the idea from him. I'm yeah, I about to say, he he was a runner, but, like, and then, I think the movie took some liberties with how long the human body could run, because I think he just, like, ran for, like, multiple weeks in a row. I don't think he ever really slept, I don't know. No, Didn't make any sense, you know. But I guess my references for this, I guess I'll put these all in the... Sh- I, these were all kind of scattered about. But the main ones were the article Pedestrian by Tom Tapley, A History Podcast and Stories by David Crockett, About Town article from Spring of 28 by Vivian Yes Walden, and then a Pedestrian Mania article by Brian Phillips. But yeah, that was that. Was that. I thought that was really interesting. That was a lovely tale. Talking about walking. I love it. Talking about fish. Or finches. Walking's my favorite thing, so... We do, we do love to walk. Especially if it's with a little hound. Uh, yeah, I'm not a runner, but I'll walk, you know? I was, there's a, um, there's a a 10K tomorrow, and I looked at entering it, and I was going to see if you wanted to run it with me. Walk it. All right, perfect. (laughs) Well, I think that's all we have for this one. Cool. All right. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.